0: Now less than 20 hours of oxygen remain for the five people who are trapped inside a submersible after they went missing on Sunday morning in a remote part of the North Atlantic. Search and rescue teams have been monitoring underwater noises that were picked up by a Canadian aircraft to help in their search. The Coast Guard officials say that hearing those signals has raised hopes. The ships and aircraft have a vast area to search. The sub arrived here on Sunday and began its dive to the Titanic wreck at 8 a.m. It was less than two hours later that contact was lost. They should have been underwater for no more than eight hours. Just remember, the space that they're in is no bigger than a transit van. Well, in the last few hours, we've heard more from the Boston Coast Guard about those noises. Take a
1: listen. When you're in the middle of a search and rescue case, you always have hope. That's, that's why we're doing what we do. Um, With respect to the noises specifically, we don't know what they are, to be frank with you. Um, The P3 detected noises. That's why they're up there. That's why they're doing what they're doing. That's why they put sonar buoys in the water. Um, The good news is, what I can tell you is we're searching in the area where the noises were detected, and we'll continue to do so. And we we hope, that when we're able to get additional ROVs, which will be there in the morning, the intent will be to continue to search um, in those areas where the noises were detected, and if they're continuing to be detected, and then put additional ROVs down in the last known position where the search was originally taking place.
0: So that's what we heard from the Coast Guard earlier. My colleague, Carl Nasman is in Boston for us now. Carl, there are thousands and thousands of people following this story, hoping for some good news. Just bring us up to speed with the latest.
1: Yeah, well, we heard that press conference a bit earlier today and some information being confirmed about those important noises that were detected, and this was yesterday, Tuesday, and even into Wednesday morning. Some noises detected by Canadian officials, and these are coming from these sonar buoys, the listening devices that are floating in the water, and signals then being sent up to those planes. Very crucially, they don't know what these sounds are, where they're coming from, but as we heard, it's giving them hope. And so this is uh, sound samples now being sent to experts at the U.S. Navy. They're being analyzed. They are rushing to try to figure out uh, what these noises might be, if they match any kind of patterns uh, coming from humans or potentially coming from that vessel that's gone missing. And as we heard there uh, from the press conference, they've now redeployed some ROVs or remote-operated vehicles. These are kind of underwater drones, and they're now conducting the search there. So given the time, Time constraints that are left as you said less than 20 hours now left of air it's crucial that at least these search teams have a focal point and that's what they said they, they now have somewhere to search the search area has expanded yesterday was the size of Connecticut now it's twice the size of Connecticut so having at least some point where they can redeploy and put their resources that's very crucial for this operation
0: And um, as you say there, the search area has been somewhat narrowed down because uh, the protocol and why there is hope with hearing those noises is that uh, the people in this sub would have known to bang on it every 30 minutes for three minutes and that's a sign of distress. That's why there's hope about this. But just how much is it changing um, the search operation that they have an area to focus on based on those sound signals?
1: Well, the search uh, efforts and the rescue efforts are expanding really by the hour, and we've heard of multiple ships now heading out to sea. There are currently five vessels in the area. That will uh, be increased by 10 more in the coming hours. Uh, We also know that there's more ROVs on the way. But given the size of this vessel, it's, what, 21, 22 feet long. It's fairly small, and they're searching essentially for a needle in the haystack. So having any kind of idea of where to begin to focus those efforts is crucial. And what they do know is, is the reason why this is such a big expanse that they're searching is there are ocean currents that could potentially take the vessel in one direction or another. They're looking to see if it might have emerged from the depths and begun to float in, in another direction. So they're not taking any chances. And given the time that is left, they're just going to try to scour the area. But. Being able to pinpoint some sort of location and look there is crucial. And as we heard multiple times, it is giving some form of hope now to these search teams.
0: All right. Carl, thank you very much. Carl Nasman in Boston there for us. In the last half hour, we also heard from the chairman and co-founder of Horizon Maritime Services, which operates the Polar Prince, that's the mothership that carried the submersible before its descent on Sunday.
2: Our critical role remains in the support capacity. It has been a very difficult few days for the crew and families of those on board the Titan and the Polar Prince. The Polar Prince captain and crew have been steadfast in providing support during this very difficult time. We have been supporting the Titanic expeditions for several years. The Polar Prince, a 72-meter vessel, remains at the Titanic site participating in rescue efforts. We are very aware of the time sensitivity around this mission. Our crews and onshore team are experts in their fields, and will continue to support this effort in every way we can. We remain focused on contributing to the search for the Titan crew and continue to hold out hope that they will be located and brought home safely. There was regular communications up until a point, and, and then I think as you're aware, they, um, their, their uh, communications ceased.
0: And that's the chairman and co-founder of Horizon Maritime Services, which uh, operates the mothership for this submersible. Let's cross live now to our correspondent Nomia Iqbal, who is at St. John's Bay in Newfoundland. Uh, Nomia, you were at uh, this press conference listening in, I believe, and trying to ask some questions. This is the first time we're hearing from this company. Um, But how much did we really get from this?
3: Yes, this is the first time they've spoken since the submersible went missing and uh, Sean Leet, as you mentioned there, the chairman, also accompanied by uh, Chief Michael Joe, who is the First Nation chief that works for the company. I have to say, when they came out they looked really nervous. Uh, they read out a statement. Uh, they appeared really emotional. Obviously, uh, this search has taken a huge toll on everybody involved. They are in close contact with the families, is what they said. And you have the press pack all of us here, crowded here, to ask them lots of questions. Um, One of the main questions that that we certainly wanted to to ask them was, um, are the families on board? Are they involved in the search? Mr Leet wouldn't answer that, but he said that the families are being supported, as are the crews on board, because remember, uh, they are, uh, it's been nearly three days, possibly more than that, that they've been carrying out this search, so they are giving support to them. The other key question also is this delay. So, uh, when, so just to remind, as you said there, uh, the Polar Prince transported the vessel to the diving area and it was one hour and 45 minutes into this two hour dive that all contact was lost. But there was a delay of four hours and 21 minutes of when the Coast Guard was informed by the Polar Prince. So, questions were being asked about what was that delay? Why was there such a long delay? But Mr. Elite was very, very Adamant about in the way that he answered, he said all protocols were followed. The other question that that we asked as well was about the relationship that uh, the company has with OceanGate. They leased Polar Prince to OceanGate, and there are questions, as we know, being asked about uh, the safety concerns regarding uh, the Titan and questions you know, that Ocean Gate are facing over that. We, we put that to Mr. Leet and he said that they, you know, they were proud to work with Ocean Gate. He didn't give away too many details. Uh, but I think, you know, as I say, the main thing that, that, that we did get from him is that um, the families uh, are, you know, being well supported. The crews are being well supported and they very much, like all the rescuers involved, consider this still a search and rescue operation. And that's a crucial point there. Nomia Iqbal, thank
0: you very much for that update. Well, we can now talk to Butch Hendrick, who is the president and founder of Lifeguard Systems. He's been training water rescue and dive teams on how to find submerged bodies and evidence for decades. It's really good to have you joining us. Thank you for sharing your expertise. Um, Some people, uh, well, many of us who are not really familiar with the ins and outs of an operation like this, will be wondering why is it so difficult uh, to find this submersible. Maybe you could just uh, lay out a few points for us.
4: Yes, first of all, the, they began with the surface search as, as soon as they possibly could get there. And that obviously came up with nothing to be found. And those those pilots and those crews are very good at searching for small items at the surface for for disasters. Next is the fact that it's it's 12,500 feet below the water. You have to have a, a physical object or a side scan sonar capability to be able to search within at least 500 feet of the bottom. These are areas that we have never had to work in before
0: so i mean that that does bring to mind just how difficult it is because of the location but uh, some might also wonder why there's no there's nothing on the sub that could transmit its location is is that normal practice
4: i can't say if it's normal or not but it certainly would be unusual to, to me and i've said it many times, there should have been some sort of a transponder that would have emergency sent out a signal continuously for at least 100 hours, just saying, here I am. It's just a beacon that our military, Coast Guard, even some of the fishing vessels would have been able to make contact with and said, we're receiving a signal. Here's where the general area is, something closer to a mile by a mile, not a 700 miles by 700 miles.
0: Mm. And we've heard from the Coast Guard that the search area is now twice the size of Connecticut, that's more than 5,000 square miles. Can you just explain to us why it's so large? If this uh, submersible went down in a specific spot, and because it's not a submarine, it's not autonomous, uh, why would it be able to move within such a wide area?
4: What the Coast Guard would have been doing immediately upon arrival they'd have been looking at the weather conditions at least 24 hours prior to the submersible entering the water they'd have been looking at the weather conditions and currents if the uh, if the submersible never made it to the bottom and became semi disabled at 10,000 feet it's now subject to the traveling water with that process they'd be looking at the, the speed of the current the time of that has been lost and they're saying, okay, it could have traveled 10 miles. It could have traveled 400 miles. If you were looking at a current that was one knot, that would tell you that an item is traveling 100 foot every minute. If the current out there is at six to eight knots, it's moving at 600 to 800 foot every minute. The Coast Guard will have already figured out by putting in their own transponder tracker buoys what the current is doing, how it's traveling, and when it back feeds. And they're searching every part of the area that they possibly can based on what the currents are doing and where a semi-buoyant object could have traveled at 10,000 feet below the surface.
0: Okay, that really helps our understanding. But as as an expert, you've done this so many times. You've trained people on how to carry out these sort of rescues. What are your thoughts at this time?
4: Well, First of all, none of us have done a rescue of this sort. We're used to doing things shallower, looking for human bodies, evidence, airplanes, things of that sort. Normally, it's less than 500 feet of water. Here, in order to move a side-scan sonar unit, which they have available, They have to have minimum 15,000 foot of cable. It's 12,500 foot below the surface. It can't simply be straight down. It has to be at an angle. So our submersible is here. In order for the side scan sonar to see it, it has to track from an angle. They're looking at a minimum of 15,000 foot of cable. And now, how do you tow that? How do you keep it? a hundred feet off the bottom, and then the entanglement problems.
0: Well, that really brings home what a complicated and extraordinary mission this is. Thank you so much, uh, Butch Hendrick, for sharing your expertise. Uh, Butch is the president and founder of Lifeguard Systems.
4: Thank you for having me.